Welcome back to the Discovering Forestry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Lofi, alongside the star of the show, Mr. Arborjet Joe Aitken, here for another compelling conversation about trees. Joe, we are in full-fledged winter here in the Rocky Mountains, and I couldn't be happier. How are you doing? How are you holding up in the Midwest? You know, we're, we're, we had winter, and then we got up to 60s. All of our snow's gone. It's muddy. The dogs are a mess. The backyard looks like a swamp. Uh, the carpet by the back door is trashed. Um, it's going to be 50 tomorrow. Uh, then it's going down to 30s all next week. But, you know, weather-wise, we're a little above, a little above the norm. But we're okay. We're getting the precip. There's soil moisture, which will, which is important, which we'll lead into in today's topic. But, you know, I'm doing good. Um, as you can see, I'm not coughing as much. Um, I feel good. You know, I'm excited. Winter's, winter's a neat time in arboriculture. Right? And if you're a climber, you're out there doing a lot right now. You schedule your removals. You hope the ground's harder. You don't trash the lawn. Um, there's a lot of, <coughs> excuse me, like disease pruning due to disease in the Midwest. I'm not sure if you do that. A lot of that is scheduled right now until spring, like your elms and your oaks. So a lot going on. <coughs> well, that's a good Even point. though it's winter, buddy, that, it's no, still that, a lot going on. And that is a good point because I think, you know, I, I'm very familiar with the Midwest. Obviously it's where I'm from and I live here in the Rockies. And we don't really have seasonal pruning on too many things with the exception of, of fruit trees here in the mountains to reduce the uh, the spread of fire blight. A lot of people prune the fruit trees in the winter, but you're right. I didn't even think about that in, in the Midwest and places where there is more disease pressure from things like oak wilt and Dutch elm disease. Yeah. You, you schedule the pruning on those trees. Uh, you just push yeah. it off to the winter every year. And, you know, and then, and then spreads the workload out it's great for companies it keeps the guys going um don't get me wrong i pruned in zero temperatures you know and it's cold but you dress for it today's equipment and you know today's outdoor wear you can prep for it you can still do a good job well th um, this will make you laugh i was i was helping a neighbor down the road with a is a pretty pretty decent lodgepole pine removal probably 18 inch <coughs> Uh, diameter lodgepole pine 60 something feet high anyhow it was it was down a hill in the backyard on a slope and here's something i i never did when i was in production but i i did um the other day is i actually dug I, I shoveled out a path to the tree probably 120 yards long maybe um just to make it easier to pull the brush in and out and, and schlep the logs. And really? It, because it saves you. you know, <sighs> if you think you're making, you know, I probably did 18, 20 something trips. Um, you know, if, if you would have been sloshing in waist deep snow. It, oh my God. You got five to be done. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Did you get any yeah, pictures it, of it? I, I, I'll see if I have any pictures. That'd be cool. But, um, uh, you know, we think about, we talk about us um, in the winter, but I think, uh, and I'll let you kind of bring it up. I think our topic tonight 
is something that we don't focus a lot of time on. And I want the listeners to uh, hear it from you, but uh, I'm excited to talk about this. It's something totally different that in two years we even come close to talk about, but it's um, it's something we should know as arborists. So let her rip, Corey. Absolutely. And it's kind of funny because, so I, to the, a lot of the listeners might not know this, but I coach, I coach a higher level of, of skier. They're all teenagers. Uh, a higher level of skier just about every weekend from the beginning of December until the end of March. And these, these kids are, you know, 14 to 16 years old. They're learning about things in, in middle school or high school, you know, biology, things like that. Um, anyhow, I was, I was riding up the chairlift with, with one of my athletes, his name is Eric and he was shivering, just cold. And he, and he goes, Corey, what do trees do in the winter? Why, why don't they explode and die when they freeze? Uh, what, what's going on? How, how does this, how does this happen? What's going on? And that made me think about it. I don't think you and I have ever talked about this, but I don't think I've had this conversation probably since my undergrad. It's been 10 years, 12 years. And thinking about it, how much in depth did you go in it then? Well, first off, he caught me off guard. Okay. Because I was like, oh, well, you know, the water is here and there. And hopefully we have some listeners who are actually scratching their heads right now going, well, good point, Corey. How does that work? Trees survive in winter. How did trees survive in the winter? <laughs> and we'll, Joe and I will get into this, but he kind of caught me off guard. And then I explained a little bit. And by the time we got to the top of the hill, it was like, well, shoot, I need to go back and actually look at some notes and make sure I'm telling the truth. <laughs> well, hats off to Eric. That is a um, a very intelligent, well thought out question that um, uh, he had to think about that. Yeah, and you know, kind of my my answer, and Joe and I will we'll spit back and forth on this for a minute um, or a couple minutes at least. But you know, kind of how I led uh, the process with Eric and and a couple of the other kids on the chairlift was, which you have to understand, is trees have been evolving, you know, for two hundred fifty million years, and they started out in the tropics, right, and then slowly yep. over two hundred million years they moved up towards the poles uh, but the trees that we have you know kind of in these temperate climates or at least where you and i are they have thicker bark they also for the most part if they're deciduous trees they'll drop their leaves and those are adaptations that came over time sense why they created the hardiness zones so very important to look at when establishing or planting a tree is it's all to to its adaptability in a certain zone so we're on the right track this is pretty pretty exciting to chat about that's that's crazy that you're talking about zones too because that's so true we'll get all right we'll we'll get into this so you know the easy answer For for my interpretation, then we'll let we'll let you kind of you know correct me and, and add your two cents. But trees, at least in these climates where it does freeze, right? They they have you know thicker bark, but they also have thinner vessel conducting elements. So a lot of people know like xylem and phloem, the tubes in the tree that move water up and down. Correct. So in the areas where Joe and I are, where we have seasons and we get freeze and thaws, 
these tree species that are growing here have much thinner tubes than you would in like Florida or the tropics or parts of Australia that, you know, have palm trees and things like that. <coughs> so, yep. Correct. So that's, that, that's definitely. <clears throat> and if you think about this, you know, not only do we're talking about this, but we have to also uh, throw in, we're talking about deciduous trees in leaf drop. Um, and we know leaf drop is uh, largely controlled by the annual variations in uh, the photo period. Shorter days, less production. That fall color is the start of the plant preparing itself for winter. Um, but we talk about um, deciduous trees. There's a whole other group of trees that have to survive in winter, too, that we got to kind of cover a little bit on today, which are evergreens. <laughs> And they have a different approach to winter, which we can cover in a little bit too. But um, you're right. Uh, fall color is the prep, the beginning of the prep for winter adaptation and survival. So let's let's keep going on this. I want to get your take on the evergreens because mine is mine will be, I'm sure, slightly different. But it, anyhow, as we're as we're discussing the deciduous trees. So not only do they have these thinner vessels, these thinner tubes in the trees, um, they also lose their leaves. But what's happening during that time is that water transport. So the leaves are changing colors. The nutrients get sucked back into the plant. But then there's also water transport moving some of those nutrients down. And what you're left with in a lot of those cells uh, that would normally conduct water and nutrients is almost like a, a very sugary molasses sap. So, and this isn't just exclusive with maples. You'll find this with, with many deciduous trees. But yes. this, this sap that's in these cells has a very hard time freezing. I mean, you'd have to get to, I believe, negative 40 Celsius um, to, to, for that sap and, to freeze. And for long periods of time. Oh, my goodness. You're right. Yeah, it just doesn't happen overnight. Trees are pretty good. But no, you're right on target about a tree being able to produce produce <coughs> their own, uh, say, for lack of a better term, antifreeze. Yeah. And you're right, because if the water would stay in the cell, the cells could rupture if they freeze. But what happens is that as the as that cell absorbs that, there's it's a, a convert from starch to sugar, and the sugars are absorbed or drawn into the cell. What that does is pushes the water out and I believe that the side walls on plants are plasmodesmatas. It forces it out in between the cells. Yes. Now, if that water freezes, it won't rupture the plant cell. So it pushes the water out, <clears throat> stores it in between the cells, and fills the cell up with a sugary substance, aka antifreeze. And you know what we call that? We call it, and I had to look this up in, in one of my books from from Stevens Point is uh when when the water freezes between cells it's <coughs> ectocellular freezing that even sounds cool well isn't that amazing and the reason you know kind of we'll go a slightly one more nerdy uh tick down is that um you and i are familiar with 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 chemical potential with water potential how it moves from one membrane to another right basically trying to go to a more positive place um well, that's the same thing happening 
with 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 these cells in the plant, if you think about it, that sugar, those starches and carbs, right? They're they're basically kind of repelling that water to go, as you said, between the cells. To exit the cell, to winterize itself, and then be as you know what it, it leads into. <clears throat> I know it's kind of jumping the gun, but think about the one thing we do in the Midwest and the East Coast when we go out. <laughs> into the forest in february and march what's the big thing that we're doing you're collecting maple syrup the sap flow because what's everything that's in the plant cell at that time is at the highest concentration of sugars which is ready available to pull out of the tree it's the sweetest time for extraction of that sap ain't that pretty cool that's pretty cool <clears throat> then you go out there boil the water out of it then you got maple syrup that that is pretty cool, Joe. That's actually that's actually fascinating. And I know that this is an effective method, <laughs> only because that I you know I, I kept these books that I paid probably way too much for back in college. Um, and I know this is acceptable with deciduous trees. And yeah. we talked about negative forty Fahrenheit, or pardon me, Celsius. Which some of the listeners who are really sharp probably know that that is the one time there is no difference, negative forty. Is the same yeah, yeah. Celsius or Fahrenheit? Um, any anyhow, uh, but Joe, what goes on with with um, with conifers with evergreens? Well, conifers, well, they got an advantage of uh, in needle retention. And now those needles are technically okay. They're the, it's it's foliage. It's a needle. It's a leaf. Because of one, we talked about bark. They have thicker bark, so they have that protection from that. <clears throat> but at the needle. <laughs> There's less surface area, so therefore there's less stomata, and there's less water. Um, and in evergreens, it's almost just the opposite. With too much water leaving, evergreens can desiccate. And especially if the soil, we you know we're talking above grade. There's winter things going on below grade. Um, and if the, the soil dries out and the needle dries out, the trees desiccate. And back in the day, <clears throat> when we used to get cold, we would spray an anti-desiccant, which would apply a little bit more waxy covering on the needles so those needles wouldn't dry out and not kill the tree. So they have a little bit different way to protect themselves. And, uh, <laughs> another thing is a conifer cell wall is stronger than hardwoods so we can withstand um believe it or not up to pressures of 900 psi Holy in a conifer so you know we um <clears throat> in our trade we're worried if we get over 20 or 30 psi um but technically an evergreen can withstand up to 900 psi i'm not saying don't go injecting your trees at 900 psi but we got to give these trees a little bit of credit for their strength and durability. Yeah. And just how much they've adapted and overcome over the years. And, you know, even, even conifers, and this is pretty, you know, pretty apparent, but it's worth mentioning is that when you get that snow load on them, conifers are, are built in a way to where they're, they're going to shed it. Right. They're going to, they're going to, yes. And they're more flexible so they can bend with it. That's another thing too. That uh, great observation that I don't think a lot of people give enough credit to. That's they're designed for it. That's why it goes back to hardiness zone, and it goes back to planting 
<clears throat> the trees that are native to that region. Because, no, you think about already disowned, that's a couple hundred years of data that supports what fauna should be in that area. And we have to do the best we can to put it back. Um, so they can do this. And, uh, and another neat thing about winter eyes, you know, the tree's response to winter <clears throat> is that the pressure, the added pressure on what insects and disease. <laughs> Damn, sorry, talking, I'm popping. It adds it a, an, another external pressure and could limit some of the production of starches and sugars. And therefore, the tree could be more susceptible to issues during winter. So it, it's it's all connected, Corey, one way or another. <laughs> so keeping the soil healthy, keeping the tree healthy, actually helps with winter um, survival. That makes total sense, especially with winter watering, which would typically occur in a year, especially here in the Rockies, uh, where we don't get much precept. But I think this year, this season, we're tracking the head, so... That's that's yeah. that's a pretty big point that we should that we should touch on, Joe. Is it's not just the tree; it's also it's also the microbes, the biome, the pore space in the soil that matters too during these winter months. So you're talking about liquid water found in underground and in the snow. So even in winter, um, trees. You no, know, another neat thing about evergreens is that even in winter, evergreens, if the temperatures are right photosynthesize all year they don't stop so they're always moving <laughs> it's just the weather and the movement of water controls its rate um but again without the replenishment of your groundwater in the winter right now has an adverse effect to the plant all next year that's crazy well yeah. you think about so so let's continue down this path so mammals us bears whoever whatever animals out there that are hibernating they go into a dormancy where their metabolism you know goes way down their energy consumption goes way down and and there's there's no growth so in a way trees are kind of like that but evergreens can still produce carbs they can yes they can if it gets sunny enough on one side of the tree their temp can be before freezing but that surface temp of a needle on that side of the tree could reach 70 degrees and therefore you can have movement in that plant even in the harshest conditions that's crazy it, it is pretty amazing and you're right winter is a challenging time for all living things including trees and that's why you know after a three million hundred million years <clears throat> they found a way to make it out there um which is actually pretty cool but I think we also need to talk about is uh, rapid change of climate. Oh. And that can have an adverse effect because the, the fall foliage, the leaf, the change, well, not change, the, the lack of production of chlorophyll and the change of color, um, that's a gradual, I guess it would see a chronic change takes time now if you have an acute change where summer or i should say fall or spring 
where you could have a severe temperature drop. Yes. Um, your student asked, why don't they explode? If they don't have enough time to produce the sugars um, in the plant cell as antifreeze, yes, plant cells can rupture and kill off parts of trees or a whole tree. And and that, that will vary. And Joe, we just went through a 70 degree swing, you know, I think two weeks ago, three weeks ago, but the plants were already in production mode with these sugars and these in these starches and, and the processes but you're right trees do explode trees trees can cells can explode and i believe there was a book a book that i probably haven't read in a number of years but i think it's called my side of the mountain which i, I do know is um i do know is fiction but anyhow it actually talks about a temperature swing that had occurred and this individual could hear trees popping yeah, frost cracking. Frost cracking right there. <sighs> um, it, yes, exactly. So if you have, again, we talked about the sunlight. Um, could warm up a side of a thin bark tree. Heats it up, is a little bit more liquid. Um, and then if it drops down to zero again overnight, yes, there is frost cracking. And that's can be pretty detrimental to the tree. Oh, absolutely. And if it's in a... <clears throat> An urban landscape, man, it's just, it's horrible. You look at this big crap and, you know, what are we supposed to do as an arborist? Do you bark trace it? What do you, you know, you let mother nature take it because she already did it to that. <laughs> Who knows? I guess every instance is different though. Um, it's pretty cool. Well, I was, stuff. I, I was tooling around the interwebs and kind of, you know, along this topic and it talked about like, what about in the, arctic the antarctic where it's negative 60 celsius that's negative 75 fahrenheit and i had i had to do the um the calculator online to figure that one out but anyhow uh <laughs> this is amazing because what happens in climates like that with with more than a few different species but those cells can actually turn into glass and it's called vitrification and vitrification, and that's where the proteins and the sugars within the cells turn into glass. It's amazing. Glass so it, exactly. Yeah. So it could be negative whatever Kelvin, and these plants are still going to survive. For for people who don't know, or maybe it's been a while since you've heard it, glass isn't a true solid. It is. It is you know solid in in many different senses, but it's it's actually always moving that's why you can look at buildings um, and barns that are you know 250 300 years old and the, and the glass <laughs> panes are, are a little bit thicker at the bottom these cells in these plants especially in birch trees and and some alders can actually turn into glass during really cold yeah. periods of time it's amazing and that's, you know, another name for that is the glass phase and um it's a kind of here's a big word for you Molecular suspended animation. Whoa. Yeah. To have a sip on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Um, there's a glass phase where the, the the material inside the plant cell wall represents glass. It is, it's not really frozen, but you can't see it move because it's 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 the animation, molecular suspended animation. It's actually pretty neat. That's amazing. Kind of, you know, really, if this episode doesn't give you a greater appreciation for 
for how trees have evolved and coexisted with the climate and everything else. I mean, what will? That's pretty cool. But in all my years, I've seen frost cracks. Um, I've seen last year in a great or two years ago, we had <coughs> the apple trees have blossomed. We had a wet snow, freezing rain, and it covered everything and froze them in place. So during that time, during pollination, and you know, that affects the overall fruit production. So there's adverse effects, especially think about the the citrus industry down in Florida, mm. where they put the smut pots out there, this smolder, what do you call them? where you put a bunch of uh, burning pits in the orchards to keep the blossoms from freezing when they have frost in the spring. I've never heard of that. Because, yeah, oh yeah, because if you have a frost in the spring. Sure. Do you ever see the movie Trading Places? Oh yeah, yeah. Where they're talking about the the citrus crop report? That's a springtime report. How did the plants do over the winter? Is there going to be orange juice? <laughs> and it was all about capturing billions of dollars on um, the, the the crop report okay. so yes you can have adverse effect um in fruit production in agriculture on trees i'm sure it happens with fruit trees like almonds think about almond trees pecans down in the south all of it has to do with the weather and you can have a good year or bad year <laughs> Well, and that's interesting to hear about about those piles and different methods that they would use to kind of heat and reduce the instance of, of frost because, yeah, it would, it would terminate that flower. Something that, that they do on the western slope of Colorado and Grand Junction where there are a lot of peaches um, is they actually have these giant fans out there. They're not they, – they, it looks it's not it, it's not like those uh, those windmills or those those wind turbines, but it, it looks similar yeah. to that. And they'll actually turn those fans on because they don't want frost to hit those those petals and basically, um, you know, yeah. keep the air moving so it can't settle in them. On that's, them that's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty. It's it's, it's really cool. But let's see what else is cool about this. There was something else I wanted to chat about. I'm having an old man moment. Um, I would like to say that. You know, there's some pretty cool stuff out there. If you really want to learn more, there's two. Um, well, I got three papers on my desk. One, Michigan State University had a lot of data on this. Um, actually, Bill Cook uh, was an extension agent in the UP, and he was partly involved with the group that helped. Um, we have a song in the beginning and ending of our podcast. He was all part of that. Which is kind of neat that he has this, he has an article on uh, winter issues, and then our um, our good buddy <laughs> and previous host Lindsay Purcell at Purdue had a real great paper on this. Lindsay, yeah. Hmm. And then if you really want to dig deep, there was other another great article from the National Forest Service. So there's a lot more on this, which I'm surprised. And even in my 40 years of arboriculture and logging and forestry that I never really looked at this topic before. So now I'm going to go up, I'm going to go talk to my wife and I'm going to bore her to tears about all the great things that trees do when they're dormant. Would you just let, just play the episode for her when it comes out next Monday? 
I'll make her listen to it because we're going to probably we're going to head a little farther north for the weekend, get up to our cabin. And um, I think it's going to be one of those little white tape in the middle of my glasses, taking her and the boys out in the woods. And we could talk about why do these trees not blow up in the winter? That's pretty cool, Joe. Well, it, it I have to say this was the perfect way to kick off the new year and um, 101 episodes. Let's keep going. Yeah, having fun, brother. Having fun. You know, <laughs> like I said, if um, you hear any great questions or if I let's um, let's turn them into magic, because, again, tell your tell your uh, your athlete, Eric, I, I can't commend him enough on his thought process on figuring this out. And hopefully if he listens to this episode, he'll get a little better understanding of what's happening out there. Yeah. That's awesome, Joe. Way to way to motivate and encourage the next generation of arborists or biologists or plant enthusiasts. It's actually that's what it's all about. Really. Yeah, foresters. Just you know what? They might not even go into it. They can just love trees. Yeah. You don't have to do it for a business. Just appreciate and love the value of these largest living organisms on the planet, and uh, you'll go far. Awesome, Joe. Hey, thank you again so much. I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Yeah, thank you, buddy. Yeah. Hey, great topic today. Yes, and lots of good information. Yeah, probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing, Signing out. out.